0: We're going to turn again to the Bible, to God's Word. Uh, each week what we do at uh, Cape and Ray Church is we look at a passage from God's Word. We hear it taught. We want to hear what God is saying to us. And so the passage for this morning is Titus and uh, chapter 2. Titus chapter 2 and we're just going to read four verses. Let's listen to God's word. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. They're the verses that we're going to be considering uh, together this morning. Uh, In a moment, the children are going to go out to Sunday school. So all of those uh, primary age children uh, can go out through the door at the back. Uh, there's also a crash this morning for the kind of zero to threes. Uh, so if you've got very little ones and you want to take them out of, out to crash again, go out that way, and someone will point you in in the right direction. Uh, before you go out, we're going to pray together. Uh, let's pray, dear Lord God. We thank you for each person gathered here this morning. We thank you uh, for the youngest, right down to the oldest. Father, we thank you for uh, little Emma here this morning as well, Uh, just a few days old. And Lord, we pray for each of us, from the youngest to the oldest. We pray, Lord, the God, that you would give us ears that are open to hear your word. Lord, we pray that you would help us to believe. And Lord, we pray for any who don't yet know and trust Jesus. Lord, we pray that even this morning you would speak to them. We ask these prayers in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So if the younger ones want to head out that would be uh, wonderful and I'm going to invite Jonathan Halsey up. Jonathan is going to come and preach to us uh, from that passage. Thank you Jonathan.
1: All right well very good morning to you all and a special welcome if you're here visiting and the family of friends of Tom and Helen uh, to celebrate the dedication of Naomi and Joseph. Wonderful to have you here this morning. My name is Jonathan. As Luke said I live in Arkham with uh, my wife Claire and our three kids one of whom is uh, with a Liverpool hat. Um, One of the massive privileges I remember um, having a few few years ago, I was invited uh, on several Christian legal conferences, um, and they were all based at Ritz-Carlton Hotels. If you don't know Ritz-Carlton Hotels, they're very, very nice. Uh, There was one in Vienna. There was one in Phoenix in Arizona. My personal favorite was the one in uh, Laguna Niguel in California. It was literally on the beach looking out to the Pacific Ocean, and uh, as I say, I was invited. So uh, it didn't cost me anything. The airfares from Austria, where I was living at the time, were free. It had multiple swimming pools, incredible food. I don't know what the price was per night. And um, let's be, just be honest, I, there's no way I would have stayed there had I not been invited. I just want you to take a minute. Think about um, the dream place for you to, to stay or, or live. A- imagine what it would look like. And if you think of a hotel... Maybe it's, got, um, maybe it's got tennis courts. Maybe it's got a, a golf course. I mean, maybe it's got a farm. We are in our home. And um, think about your, your dream hotel. What would it have? Uh, all those things. Maybe think about the, um, the kind of presidential suite. The, the best view around uh, the hotel. Think about the amazing food, the, the walk-in wardrobe, all these things. Before you start dreaming uh, too much, now I just want you to imagine... There's a beggar, and there's a beggar, and he is outside that hotel, and, and he hangs around, and he, he, he looks to see any scraps that come to the bins uh, from the hotel. He looks to see if any holidaymakers are throwing away some clothes they don't need. He, he's looking to rummage around, see what he can find, and make the best of what he can find. And then one day, the hotel manager uh, of your hotel he comes and he sees the bag and he says, you know, I've seen you. I've seen you rummaging around in the bins. I've, I've seen you looking for scraps of food and clothing. I don't want you to do that anymore. I want to invite you to live and you can stay in the best suite. We're going to get a hairdresser for you. We're going to get uh, clothes for you. You can eat in the restaurants. You can swim and use the gyms. You can enjoy life in this hotel. And so that." There's one condition. The hotel manager says, you've got to leave behind the old way of life. There's no more rummaging around in the rubbish bins. And so the beggar, he's thinking, well, this is amazing, right? Who would not want to go and, and have a better life? And um, the beggar starts enjoying uh, the swing pools and getting smartened up and uh, the great food and the fitness facilities. Well, what would you think if one day the hotel manager, he's walking around, as a good manager does, and he sees the former beggar back by the bins outside. He's rummaging through the bins, looking for some scraps. He's looking at things that have been thrown away by the hotel. What would you think? You could imagine him saying, I've given you everything. I've given you everything you needed for the greatest life imaginable. What are you doing? Well, it it may seem like a a far-fetched example, and of course it's not a perfect one, is it? Um, Life as a Christian is far from easy. It is far from easy. The prosperity gospel is false teaching. We know that. But sometimes I can be a bit like that beggar. Maybe sometimes you can be a bit like that beggar. We've been offered the greatest life on the planet, to quote Graham Stanford, a local preacher if you know him, living with our maker who knows us, who knows what is best for us? But sometimes we go wandering back to what we're used to because it's comfortable. To give another analogy, it's a bit like, it's a, bit like a prisoner. They've been set free from the prison cell. They, they can walk out. The, the chains have gone, but instead of living like a free person, they go wandering back into the prison cell. It makes no sense, but it's attractive because that's where a lot of people are. It's comfortable because it's what you're used to. Change can be hard, can't it? Change can be hard at the best of times, even when the change is good. And we've been, if you've been um, at Cape Mary Church these last few weeks, we've been looking at the Sermon on the Mount. And we've been seeing how Jesus has been correcting people's thinking. And Jesus has been correcting the the thoughts they had. He's been saying, actually, it's not about tradition. It's about what I'm telling you. It's not about murder. It's about controlling your anger. Don't make adultery the focus. Make your thought life the focus. It's not about avoiding divorce. It's about being faithful. It's not about elaborate oaths you make. It's just living a life that is truthful. It's not about um, trying to repay evil to someone. It's about proactively loving your neighbor. And it's not about hating your enemy, uh, which is known in the Bible, of course, but it's about praying for them. And Jesus was fulfilling the law. He wasn't contradicting it. He was living out the heart of the law. So we've seen in this series that we should be be generous people. We should be prayerful people. We shouldn't be storing up treasures um, on earth, but in heaven, we shouldn't be worrying. We shouldn't be judging. This is the kind of life we're called... To live, And when we do these things, we're living like the wise man who built his house on the rock, not the sand. We're like the people who are walking through the narrow gate, not going through the wide gate. Yesterday, a few of us went uh, on a walk. And uh, it was funny, as we were walking down, I said to Victoria, this is the one time in life I'm going to say is really important that we stick to the wide path because they're all kind of ways going down to the pepper pot. If you've been up there and like, let's stick to the wide way on the way down. But actually as Christians, the life that we're called to live, and this is what Luke said in the very first um, session on the Sermon on the Mount, quoting John Stott, it is a life of Christian counterculture. That is the life we're called to live. So this is the passage we're looking at this morning. And and what Paul is doing, we haven't been in Titus, so let me just summarize. He is basically saying this is the effect that grace should have on the life of a believer. It's about rejecting things that are ungodly, leading to holy living. And it's just like um, what Jesus was saying in the Sermon on the Mount. So let's read those verses again. If you've got them, Titus 2, 11 to 14. And if technology works, they're going to be there. Fantastic. a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. I've got three practical things for us to remember. Always good to have three points. Uh, Then we can remember them for the rest of the day and hopefully week and beyond. God's great grace. We want to remember God's great grace. We also want to remember the reality of this age. And then we're going to look at the certainty of Jesus Return. Three points to remember for us from this morning. All right, let's start with God's great grace. This is verse 11. We're in Titus 2. And we read For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. Came across a great acronym uh, recently for grace. You may know it. It's God's riches at Christ's expense. God's riches at Christ's expense. It literally cost Jesus everything. That's verse 14. It says, he gave himself. You can't give more than yourself. He gave everything. He gave everything that we could have access to God's riches. And, uh, and the word therefore appeared. It says, the grace of God has appeared. What it's talking about it, it means the visible appearance of something or someone who up to that point had been hidden. It's like seeing something <clears throat> for the first time. It was there, but suddenly you see it. It's like you, you get up early in the morning. I used to do this in Austria. You, you hike up a mountain, and then the sun comes up. A, a wonderful experience, but suddenly you see something. It was always there. It was just hidden from sight till it rose. And so God, God has always been gracious. God has always been gracious, even with Adam and Eve giving them clothing after they were expelled from the Garden of Eden. But grace, it appeared visibly on this earth in Jesus Christ. It appeared visibly in Jesus Christ. And um, it says here in, in verse 11, it offers salvation to all people. Grace is for everyone. John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Grace is the undeserved love of God that God showed us in the Lord Jesus even when we were sinners. That's Romans 5.8. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Grace is an amazing gift. We're saved because of Christ, and we're saved not because of anything we've done. This is Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Faith is by grace. Salvation is by grace. Why? So that no one can boast. It's not about us. It's not by works, so that no one can boast. It is a gift. We've had several kids uh, here who've gone out to class. We've got a few young ones left. My children know how to receive, right? Children are really good at receiving gifts. Our children, right, Joe, are also good at asking. They're very good at asking. And I think it's this. Children know they are completely dependent upon other people to provide them what they would really like. Um, And the list can be quite long. Sometimes They realize that with their 2 pounds 50, whatever it is a week pocket money they get, they realize what they would like to get the latest Liverpool kit or a PlayStation. They realize they do the math and think, "Well, this is going to take way too long. I'm going to ask. I'm going to ask." And they do ask. Children, they know what it is to go to someone in faith and receive. They come to their parents who. A lot of times they know, but they still come back. They know how to keep asking, and they find it easier, I think, on the whole, to accept gifts than adults do. I think sometimes the older we get, it's like, oh, no, 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 I'm going to do this on my own. I can do this. Um, So Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, we've we've learned that salvation is by grace. Faith is by grace. And then the next verse, uh, verse 10, Ephesians 2, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus, To do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. You may not feel like it this morning. You are a work of art. That's what it says. It says we are God's handiwork. The word for handiwork is poema. It's where we get the word poem from. And it literally means a masterpiece. All of you, you're works of art. You are works of art. Because you have a special maker. You have a special maker. And so we've seen before, we were in Christ, we were dead. We were enslaved, we're condemned. And in Christ, we are alive, we are free, and no longer condemned. Let's read verse 14 again in Titus 2. It says, Who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. And what Paul is doing here, he is using reminders from the Old Testament, right? Jesus, he's the fulfillment of the Passover lamb. He gave himself. Jesus redeemed us. He's reminding the readers about the Exodus, the redemption of the Israelites from Egyptian bondage. And he's saying to redeem for himself a people that are his very own, just like the nation of Israel were the chosen nation. And if we're believers, if we believe and trust in Christ, we have been saved from wickedness. We are pure in Christ and it's a process of being purified. And one day we will be completely pure and spotless and with the Lord Jesus. And we belong to Jesus and notice the words in uh, verse 14. It says, and to purify for himself. We belong to Christ, to purify for himself. And if we belong to Christ, we need to be people who start speaking his language. If you look around our church family, you see some of the kids resemble their parents, some more than others. Um, our little Hannah she's just popped out if you look at pictures of Claire when she was kind of 5 or 6 almost identical, unbelievable I think Reuben I see a bit of your mum with you good looking boy you, you, you see, you see um, parents in their children it's just what, what we do and so we should be a people who are more and more resembling our Heavenly Father and we should be motivated to do good because we've understood God's grace. It's not to save ourselves. It's literally wanting to be enthusiastic to do good stuff because we know what we've been saved from. And so God's grace, it trains us to be enthusiastic to live for him who died for us. Let's move on to the, um, the next reminder for us this morning. Let's look at the reality the reality of this age. Titus 2.12. God's grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. We need to be a people who remain teachable. We're never going to stop learning. Never stop learning. And the word for teachers here in verse 12 It is a lot more than instruction. It is the whole process of training a child. It's instruction, it's encouragement, it's correction, it's discipline. We need to be a people who keep learning, who are teachable and want to learn and grow, have a teachable spirit. And as we're reminding ourselves of, of God's great grace, it helps us not to judge, doesn't it? As we saw in the Sermon on the Mount. It helps us not to stay angry with other people. Because we remember God's incredible patience with us. It helps us not to actively seek revenge ourselves because we realize we've got incredible undeserved favor ourselves. And as we remind ourselves of God's great grace, what we've been saved for, remembering the cost it came to for Christ, as we remember this, we've got a teachable spirit, we're going to find it easier to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions, and we're going to find it easier saying yes to living a self-controlled, upright, and godly life. Because grace, if we've understood God's great grace, it's going to make it easier to, to renounce, to say goodbye to our old way of living, and to turn to godliness away from ungodliness. We had the, um, the dedication of Naomi and Joseph today. If you've ever been to an Anglican church for a christening, You'll say the words um, that you renounce the world, the flesh, and the devil. That's what we're doing. We're renouncing the world, the flesh, and the devil. Because worldly passions are a bit like the song by Queen, right? I want it all. I want it now. There's no freedom in that. There is no freedom in wanting it all and wanting it now. You're actually captive if you have to have something right now. And so saying no is not something negative. And sometimes, Claire, my wife, and I, we feel like we have to say no to our kids quite a lot. No, 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 no. Um, And actually, it's because we want our children to be free. Because why do we limit screen time? We want our children to be free. Why do we say no to a packet of Haribo's at 9 in the morning? Because we want our children to be healthy and not have teeth that fall out early on in life. We know it's going to stop them uh, developing well. And also, if they ask for Haribo at night, at night, it's going to stop them sleeping well. And so, Galatians 5.1, it says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. If we are in Christ, we have incredible freedom. And freedom includes the freedom to say no. I'll be honest, I like to go shopping. I like to buy t-shirts and jumpers, but freedom is to say no, I don't actually need that. And Claire's smiling because she knows that is me. Freedom is also freedom for a person who wants the extra piece of cake but knows they shouldn't. Freedom is actually saying, I don't need that, and I'm, I'm happy with that. Freedom is, is freedom of the person who wants the extra drink, but doesn't take it. I was uh, involved in the ministry of torchbearers for over 10 years. First at Taunhof in Austria, and then at Cape these last few years. And I used to say to the students that as a Christian, you're free to drink in the sense it's not completely prohibited. And we have different um, views on drink, I understand that. But actually part of the freedom to drink is a freedom not to drink. And when students would come to us um, at Townhoff, Cape Murray, other centers, they were not allowed to drink while they were with us. And so I'd say to them, why are you with us for these three months or six months? It is a chance to see how free you are. Freedom also means being able to say no to things and being okay with that. And so back in Titus 2.12, Paul is talking about the present age. See that, the present age. Age. This is a phrase that doesn't appear much in the New Testament, but it does appear, and the reference is there also in 2 Corinthians 4-4 and Galatians 1 3 to 5. Let me read those. 2 Corinthians 4-4. Read the God of this age has blinded the mind of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And so we have to remind ourselves actually that. If you don't have Christ, you're blind. You're blind. And if you're blind, you're stumbling around, you're a bit confused, disorientated. That is what Paul is saying. How about Galatians 1, 3 to 5? Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age. He gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age. We have been rescued. We've been rescued from the present evil age by Jesus at a great cost. And the devil is the arch enemy of God. He is the unseen power behind all unbelief and ungodliness. And so, this present age we live in, this earth, it is temporary. And that is so different to the eternal glory that awaits for us in God's new creation that is forever. A creation that will have no illness or sickness or death or suffering. And so that brings us on to my third and final point for this morning. Let's remember the certainty of Jesus' return. Titus 2 verse 13. While we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so the, the word for appearing, if you see that in verse 13, is exactly the same as it was in verse 11. But this time, verse 11, is talking about Jesus' first coming. This time, Paul is talking about Jesus' return. You know, not everyone recognized Jesus when he first came. Many people still don't recognize who Jesus is, but one day every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus is coming again. We don't know when, but we know he's coming. And what we do know from his own words is it's gonna be at a time when we don't expect him. We need to be ready. This is what Jesus says in Matthew twenty four, forty two and forty four Matthew twenty four let me read verses forty two and forty four. Therefore keep watch because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. And verse forty four. So you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. And when the Lord Jesus comes, when he comes again, those who know him will be transformed and go home to be with him where our home is. Because Philippians 3, it reminds us, verse 20, our citizenship, where we actually belong is heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven heaven. And so the question a bit for me and for you this morning is, are we eagerly awaiting the return of Jesus? Is it going to be good news for us when Jesus comes back? Or a bit of an interruption to our life that we're enjoying right now? Are we looking for Jesus' return? Are we excited about that? Or are we we thinking this world is actually going to give us what we want? C.S. Lewis, um, I like this quote by him, he says, if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. You can look as much as you want for satisfaction in this world. But like the NXS song goes, I can't get no satisfaction. That's the reality. Without Jesus, there's no true ultimate peace and satisfaction. And so as we remember, as we remember the reality of this age, um, Hebrews uh, 13, 14, I'll read that as well. For here we do not have an enduring city. This is not a home. But we are looking for the city that is to come. As we're remembering, this is not ultimately our destination. This is not our home. It helps us not to worry about the things of this world. It helps us not to worry about clothes, like we saw on the stone on the mount. And, it, and we can be generous because... We can't take anything with us. And everything we have is grace. And it makes us eager to be salt and light as we're called to be. Let's quote C.S. Lewis again. Or actually, is it there? I haven't got that quote. C.S. Lewis, he also said, um, everything that is not eternal is worthless in eternity. Everything that is not eternal is worthless in eternity. Eternity. I wonder what we're waiting for this morning. Jesus, he was born in a stable with swaddling clothes. He died with just a strip of linen around him. I'm frequently challenged by the words of Brennan Manning. Brennan Manning said this He said, The greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. So this is the question for for me and for you this morning. Are we becoming increasingly like our father? When the world looks at us, do they see Jesus in us? Are we living a life of Christian counts culture? And so three things, let's remember three things Uh, for us today let's remember God's great grace it is a gift it is a gift we don't deserve it is God's riches at Christ's expense there's no room for boasting there's no room for judging others because we've all sinned we've all fallen short of the glory of God we're all lost without him there's nothing our own actions could do to help us it is pure grace God's great grace let's remember the reality of this age as Luke was um, reminding us as we looked on the Sermon on the mount, it it may look attractive. It may look popular, but it's the wide way. It's the building your life on the sand, not the rock. It's the unstable place to be. And what it ends with is pain and eternal separation from God. Let's remind ourselves of the certainty of Jesus' return. One glorious day, he will return. We don't know when, but he will return. And we know that. And every day that we're alive, we're getting one day closer. Are we going to be ready? Are we going to be found ready? Are we going to be enjoying everything that we have in the Lord Jesus? Or are we going to be a bit like that beggar? Enjoying the Ritz Carlton, who then goes back to rummaging around in the rubbish bins, feeding off scraps. What life are we going to be enjoying when Christ returns? Let's close close with the, uh, the quote from Martin Luther. He said, live as if Christ was crucified yesterday, rose from the dead today, and is returning tomorrow. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much uh, for today. I thank you for the reminder of your incredible grace, God's riches at Christ's expense. Lord, it is all a gift, everything we have, the fact that we can even live and breathe. Everything we have is uh, from you and for you. Lord, I pray that we'll be generous people. I pray that we'll be people who serve you and others with our time and gifts. Lord, I do pray for anyone who doesn't know you yet. I pray that they will see their need for you, and uh, those of us who do know you, I pray that we're reminded of our continual need for you. Lord, I pray that we don't settle for a second-rate life. Um, I pray that we focus on our walk with you, enjoying the riches that we have in Christ. And Lord, I pray that uh, we will be found ready. I pray for us that we will, of course, enjoy life on this earth. It has a lot to offer. but it is nothing compared to living with you for eternity. And so I pray that, Lord, we will be a people who fix our eyes on the Lord Jesus and eagerly await his return. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.